0: Hi, I'm Coy Adkins, and thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds. Today, the story I have is one that will have you questioning the people that you know. Or better yet, will have you questioning the family that you marry into. Because what seemed like a match made in heaven for two young lawyers quickly turned into a story out of a James Patterson mystery novel. So stay tuned. Daniel Markle, who went by Dan, was born October 9, 1972 in Toronto, where he grew up until he went off to college at Harvard. Once at Harvard, he studied politics and philosophy, then he ended up graduating with his law degree in 2001. Dan worked in Washington, D.C. as a law clerk for Judge Michael Hawkins with the United States Court of Appeals. And then he became an associate with a law firm that specialized in criminal defense for white-collar crimes. And you know how law firms usually have the names of their partners? Well, this one had a lot. The name was Kellogg, Huber, Hansen, Todd, Evans, and Feigl. Dan met Wendy Adelson through a dating website called JDate. Their relationship quickly became serious. Wendy was charismatic, outgoing, just a fun person to be around. She was from Miami and still lived there, so their relationship was mostly long distance, and they took trips to see each other whenever they could. Wendy came from a family of doctors. Her parents and her brother all worked in the medical field, and she was the first one to branch out into the legal field. In 2005, Dan moved to Tallahassee, Florida, where he began teaching at Florida State University College of Law. The law school also offered Wendy a job to teach, so now they're finally living together. They get engaged, and then in February of 2006, they get married. Dan and Wendy had two little boys that weren't very far apart in age, but what appeared to be a perfect relationship on the outside started spiraling down on the inside. While Wendy was a good lawyer and a good teacher on her own, a lot of her career was overshadowed by Dan's. Dan had become this huge figure through his teachings and writings. He traveled a lot doing speaking engagements at other colleges and events. And Dan and Wendy, they began growing distant and just falling apart. They didn't talk much. Just in general, their lives were in different places at this time. Wendy was working on writing a novel called This Is Our Story, which was pretty much a fictional version of their own love story when she finished it she gave it to Dan to read but he didn't read it and this devastated Wendy and it didn't help their relationship at all in 2012 Dan went to New York City for a work trip when he came back to Tallahassee Wendy was gone the kids weren't home and half of everything was moved out of the house sitting on top of the bed were divorce papers from Wendy Coming home from New York and finding the divorce papers was kind of eye-opening for Dan and he devoted time trying to win Wendy back and to make their marriage work but it was clear that this marriage wasn't going to be saved. And then it turned into a very nasty divorce. The biggest thing, like in a lot of divorce cases, was the custody of the children. Wendy wanted to move back to Miami and take the kids with her. But Dan didn't agree to this at all and they argued back and forth over custody until a judge ruled that the children would stay in Tallahassee, which meant that Wendy would also be staying in Tallahassee and not going back to her family in Miami. To say that Wendy's mother, Donna, was upset about this was an understatement. With the news that Wendy wouldn't be moving back to Miami, Donna began sending Wendy these emails Several emails that were ten thousand words or more longer, talking about how she can get custody of the kids. In many of these emails, Donna only refers to Dan as a quote gibber, which I'm not sure if that's supposed to be something that she made up as some sort of code name, or if she's trying to take some sort of cheap shot at Dan, because gibber is slang for someone who speaks poorly. And speaking engagements and all these speeches is a big part of Dan's life and career. So I'm not sure what the deal with that. But that's all that she refers to Dan as. She never says his name in any of the emails. In one of the emails, Donna tells Wendy that she can be a good actress. And now was the time for her to have the performance of a lifetime. And that she needed to do it before the next court date they had. Donna also urged Wendy to make Dan miserable saying that his weak points are money, religion, and control. Now Dan was Jewish and his religion was a very important part of his life. Donna made it a point to make sure that Dan knew that whenever Wendy had custody of the kids she was going to have them baptized in a Catholic church. That's how bad this was getting between all of them. But as bad as things seemed, it all began to cool down over a little bit of time. Dan and Wendy ended up going their separate ways through the divorce and started dating other people. As things began looking better for both of them, no one could have seen just how bad Things were about to get. On july eighteenth, twenty fourteen, just after eleven o'clock in the morning, Dan was talking on the phone with a friend as he pulled into his driveway. And then he pulled the car into the garage. He told his friend on the phone that there was someone in his driveway. And then that was the last words that Dan ever said. The next sound that the friend heard over the phone. Was a gunshot. A neighbor also heard the gunshot and ran over to Dan's house and called 911. The neighbor saw Dan in the car with shattered glass and blood everywhere. And here's a small clip of the 911 call the neighbor made.
1: 911, what's the address of your emergency location? Okay, okay, tell me exactly what happened. Uh, we heard and looked in, the garage door was up. And I thought the gentleman was backing out, and I went back to my house, but he never backed out. And I came back over, and his wind, his, his uh, driver's side uh, window is shattered, and he's battered and can't answer. He's inside. I don't know if somebody tried to shoot him, or if he shot himself, or what. I don't know. He didn't send an ambulance in the hurry. EMT. He's still alive. He's moving okay what what's see what's going on with him. I don't know. The, the the driver's side window is all bashed in, and he's got blood all over his head. He's not responding to me. I think you need to hurry. Yeah, I'm going to get him on the way to you. I just want to ask you a few questions, OK? Go ahead, but send them as, as you're asking. Yes, sir. They're already on the way, OK? Are okay. you with him now? Okay. I'm standing right outside the garage door. Can you tell me how old he is? Uh, I don't know. He looks like maybe 35 or 40. Hang on one second for me, okay? Okay. All right, sir. I apologize about that. What was the, uh, how old is the patient again? I'm sorry. I can't tell. He looks maybe 35 or 40. I don't know. Okay. And is he awake? He's just moving his head around, but he's not responding. I I call his name, ask what's going on. Not call his name, but ask him what's happening. He's not responding to that, but his head's kind of rolling around. Okay, is, is he conscious? Well, I can't tell. Okay. Is he breathing? I can't tell that. I'm assuming he's breathing if he's moving his head around. Did you ever hear him talk or anything? No. Okay. You said he's sitting in the car, right? Correct, in the driver's seat.
0: Dan was shot at close range in the head. When paramedics and police arrived, he was still alive, but he wasn't responsive to anything. And then he was transported to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. Investigators immediately looked towards Wendy. Before they even told her about Dan being murdered, they told her that they needed to talk to her and asked her to come to the police station. Once they had her in an interview room, That is where they told her that Dan was shot and killed. Wendy immediately broke down crying. She's told at the time that she's not being looked at as a suspect. But at the same time, they needed to rule her out as having any involvement. So she stayed at the police station for several hours so that they could gather information on where she was at the time of the shooting and who she was with. They even swabbed her hands for gunshot residue and took photographs of her. While a spouse or former spouse is always one of the first people that's looked at in a murder case, this one had police looking everywhere. Because the neighbor that called 911 also reported seeing a silver Toyota Prius leaving the area. So police were looking at this as maybe even being a road rage incident, or possibly a student that was upset over a grade they received. Then they came across Wendy's most recent boyfriend. Jeff, who oddly enough, also looked very similar to Dan. Jeff and Wendy had actually just broken up, and Jeff's name came up because of Wendy. When she was asked if there was anyone that had any issues with Dan, she said that Jeff didn't like Dan at all, and on multiple occasions talked about fighting Dan in public. When police interviewed Jeff, He agreed that he did not like Dan and also confirmed a threat to fight him and said that there were multiple witnesses around whenever he talked about fighting Dan, but said that he had nothing to do with Dan's murder. But Jeff points the finger at someone else too, or multiple people. He blames Wendy's family. He said that the family hated Dan and that he could definitely see them being the cause of Dan's murder. Over time, police were able to track Dan's movement from the day that he was killed. They learned that he was coming from the gym the morning that he arrived home, so they pulled the security footage from the gym. And as Dan's Honda is seen leaving the parking lot, right behind him, he's being followed by a silver Toyota Prius. Are you thinking about buying or selling a home? If so, I would love to have the opportunity to help you out. I'm a licensed realtor with Boss Heart Realty in Gainesville, Florida. Whether you're selling in Orlando or buying in California or Canada or Colorado we work with great real estate companies all over the world so I can help you out no matter where you're at. All you got to do is send me an email and we can talk about your dream home that you're getting ready to look for or the home that you're about to sell so you can look for another home or move to another area. My email is Michael Adkins at bossheartreality.com. That email is also going to be in the show notes for you. I really look forward to working with you. Now back to the show. The Tallahassee Police Department pulled cameras from all around the area, including traffic light cameras and cameras from the city buses. When they got their best pictures of the car, they released a statement to the media asking people if they had any information on this Prius. Now, the Prius had a paint job to where it was, it was silver, but in certain lighting it appeared to be a light green. A more notable thing was the outside mirrors. They were two different colors, one was green, one was black. It also had a Sun Pass sticker on it. Now for people who aren't familiar with Florida, there are some toll roads around Central and South Florida. and A Sun Pass is something that you put in your front windshield and instead of having to slow down and stop at every toll booth you come to, you can just drive through a Sun Pass lane and the camera captures the Sun Pass and then you're billed through that. The police, they begin combing through hours and hours and thousands of cars going through these sunpass lanes until they found their car. Now the cameras on these toll roads, they do capture the tag numbers and police easily could have searched for the tag number to get results quickly. But from the cameras that they got from the gym and even the city buses they could never get a tag number. So they had to watch these videos of every single car going through these sunpass lanes until they found their match. Then once they did that, they were able to track this car through each sunpass lane as it traveled all the way from Miami. They tracked the priest down to a small car rental shop in Miami. And then they found the contract for the people who rented the car. The names on the contract were... The names on the contract were Luis Rivero and Sigfredo Garcia. Police then began trying to figure out how Luis and Sigfredo were connected to Dan. But there was no connection. Luis was a gang member with the Latin Kings, had no ties to Dan. Sigfredo also didn't have any ties to Dan. And neither of them even had any ties to Tallahassee other than that one trip. Police used cell phone records to track Lewis and Sigfredo's movements from Miami all the way to Tallahassee. Then, the same day that Dan was murdered, they tracked them all the way back down to Miami. So they knew that these were the guys responsible for Dan's murder. But why? Now this may seem like it was a really fast investigation. And in terms of a murder investigation, it may have been because a lot of cases take several years to be solved. But the first arrest in this case was made in 2016 when Sigfredo was arrested for Dan's murder. By that time, Lewis was already in jail on other federal charges related to his gang activity. While investigators are piecing all this together, they couldn't make a connection between Dan, Sigfredo, and Lewis. Dan was this well-respected law professor, and these were two low-level criminals in Miami. Then they arrived at a theory that maybe they were hired to murder Dan. And the ones who would have the motive are the same ones from Miami, Wendy's family, her mother, father, and brother. While investigators couldn't draw a line from Dan to Sigfredo and Lewis, they were able to connect them to the Adelson family. Sigfredo had children, and the mother of his children was a woman named Katie Magbuana. Katie also worked at a dental office for the Adelsons. When police looked at Katie's bank account, before Dan's death, there was a cash deposit of $15,000, and then there was a deposit of just over $40,000 after that. Investigators find out that Katie more than worked at the dental office. From 2013 to 2015, she was dating Wendy's older brother, Charlie. Now by this time, the FBI are involved in assisting in this investigation. The FBI set up an undercover operation with Wendy's mother, Donna. An undercover agent approached her pretending to be a family member with one of the killers. He said that he knew the Adelson family was helping Katie out with money, and he knew why. He also said that he wanted help with some money for his family. Donna, Charlie, and Katie's phones were all being tapped at that time and being monitored by the FBI. After this undercover agent approached Donna, Donna called Charlie, saying that there was a situation involving him and her and that they should meet in person to talk about it. Charlie later called Katie, telling her that she needed to figure out who this was that was coming to them. Throughout their conversations, they said some strange things over the phone, but it was all cryptic and vague enough to where the FBI didn't have any evidence. In fact, the prosecutors didn't even feel comfortable moving forward with any charges on the family or Katie. In so many cases that involved multiple suspects. Things are always a mystery until one person is offered a plea deal. In this case, it was Luis Rivera. This is going to be a very quick break from the episode. And I just want to ask you all a very quick favor. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, please subscribe to it from there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. Those will help me out so much. Now, back to the episode. Lewis was already sentenced to 12 years in prison from his federal charges. So his plea deal is if he testified, they would only add 7 more years on top of that sentence. Or... He could take this murder case to trial, face a jury, and possibly face the death penalty. So, Lewis takes this plea and begins telling everything. Lewis said that Sigfredo approached him, saying that he was hired to kill someone. Sigfredo asked Lewis to just go with him for the drive. When Lewis asked who hired him, Sigfredo only said that Katie knew the lady that was hiring him, and Katie was arranging for them to get the money. Lewis asked why they were going to kill this man and Sigfredo told him it was just so that this lady could get full custody of her two kids. Lewis also gave a few more details about how everything led up to Dan being killed. About a month before Dan's murder, he and Sigfredo went to Tallahassee. That's when they were initially going to kill Dan. Lewis would follow Dan in the morning, but he kept losing track of Dan after he dropped the kids off. So they ended up going back to Miami after a few days. A month later, they go back to Tallahassee. This time, they didn't lose him. They followed him from the gym to his house. When Dan parked the car in the garage, Sigfredo approached walking up the driveway. He shot into the car, and then ran back to the car with Lewis, and they took off. After Lewis's confession, Katie was then arrested for Dan's murder also. Katie and Sigfredo's trials were combined into one trial, and they both sat in jail for three years until the trial started in October of 2019. During this trial, Wendy took this stand where prosecutors asked her about her older brother Charlie. They were able to paint a picture of him as a wealthy, protective older brother. It was even brought up that during her divorce, he bought her a TV as a divorce present, and made a joke that a TV was cheaper than hiring a hitman. When Lewis took the stand, the defense team did their best to make him seem like he was not a credible witness. They mostly focused on talking about his gang affiliations, and that he was the leader of the Latin Kings, even though he said that being part of the Latin Kings had nothing to do with this murder, but that still, they were focusing on that to try and lose his credibility with the jury. But one thing that was brought up and was hard to argue with was the money that Lewis was paid. He thought it was odd that it was in $100 bills and that they were stapled together. I mean, who staples money together? Most of the time, if it's connected, you see like rubber bands around it or something like that. But this was actually like stapled. But the prosecution already had the answer for who stapled the money. Or at least... answer for who staples their money the next person to testify was an ex-girlfriend of Charlie's and she said that Charlie always kept cash in stacks of hundred dollar bills and he kept them stapled together then Katie's defense team called Katie to the stand of course Katie denied any involvement in Dan's murder she explained that the extra cash she was making during that time came from a second job where she was working as a bottle girl in a Miami nightclub. But when she was asked if she thought Charlie had anything to do with Dan's murder, her response was, yeah, I think he did. At the end of the trial, the jury took two days. They came back and found Sufredo guilty they couldn't reach a verdict for Katie. Now, to this day, no one from the Adelson family has been charged. Lawyers that represented both Wendy and Charlie have released statements saying that they haven't been charged because there's no case against them. So, as it stands now, Dan's family really hasn't received true justice for their son. No one believes that these two random guys from Miami... With connections to the Adelsons, decided to drive to Tallahassee on their own and murder Dan in cold blood. In the middle of the day, as he pulled into his driveway, there has to be someone else behind it, right? And that brings us to a conclusion of today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Crime Nerd's Podcast. And there's now also a Facebook page that you can follow us on called Crime Nerd's Podcast. As always, thank you for listening to this episode.